Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hello, my lovely listeners. Welcome back to another week of Fried, the burnout podcast. This week, my guest is Sarah Dawn, who is a business lifestyle coach that has built $1 million businesses, both in burnout mode and not. She guides clients through designing their businesses to work for them rather than burn them out. Sarah did not write this part in her bio, but she's also a lawyer. So she's gone through a community of people that are known for burning out. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to have you here. I spent my whole morning reading through your stuff, and I would like to start the way we start every podcast with... What the heck happened to you? What's your burnout story? <laughs> right, right. Um, we all have one. Mine, and I think probably a lot of people's, starts with just wanting to feel valuable. Yeah. And the beliefs and the definitions I had on what that meant. Um, and and the, my lesson on what it did and didn't mean in, in my life. And... For me, it was, as you mentioned, I'm an attorney by trade, and I grew up very poor. And in my mind, to be valuable, to not be poor, to be valued, I had to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, I don't do good with uh, bodily fluids, so (laughs) doctor had to be crossed off and lawyer was next. Um, I also am not one to follow rules, but not in a sneaky way. Even as a little girl, it would be more of a shout from the mountaintops that I'm not going to follow your rules. And I I got the comment a lot from teachers, from family members, well, you should just be a lawyer. And um, I see now that wasn't a compliment, (laughs) but fired up that belief that to be valued for the person I was, this is the path. So that's the path I took. And they do teach you, maybe indirectly, but the message is loud and clear that burnout equals success. That if you're not tired, if you're not just hanging on by a thread, you're doing it wrong. And again, that's what I needed to do to be valuable. That's what I needed to do to be valued. So that's what I did. Um... And it was, I won't pretend like it's all bad and I won't pretend like that is every attorney's story, but it definitely is set up to be that way. When you say they teach you that burnout equals success, are you talking about the structure while you're in school? 
Yeah. The structure while you're in school, the structure to prepare um, in law school, all, all of your grade, your entire grade for the semester is based on one test. And there's a couple classes, maybe a couple writing classes that are different. You have a couple writing projects, but the majority of law school, everything is based on one test every semester, your whole grade. And then it pre-law school, you have one test that determines what school you can get into. And then when you're done, you take the bar exam. One test decides if you're going to be practicing law or not. So it's definitely set up to be um, in the moment, very intense, um, and, and cram everything into one, one place, which is just a recipe for burnout. And there's the argument that that's just how the real world is going to be, but it's a little backwards also. Oh, is it how the real world is going to be, or are we deciding that in advance and, and just setting it up that way? And, and yeah, I had, I had bosses, I had law firms that I worked for that really were just set up to, to suck you dry and then take a little bit more. And that's where I felt valued. So I was doing it and I was proud of myself for it. And I started my own business that, um, is super successful. However, at the beginning, my whole marketing strategy was I'm available to my clients 24 seven, which is fucking crazy. You can't do that shit and let it last. And I had an amazing partner and an amazing team. And I still had a story that it was all about me, that everything was on my shoulders and I had to be giving even when there was nothing left to give. I had to give my all and that meant I was paying my dues. And, and a lot of this is language that's just kind of um, nomenclatures in our language that we use, but working hard, you know, word hard is in there, paying my dues. Those are all stories that I was telling myself that this is what needed to be my lifestyle in order to have a successful business and in order to be valued in my role in my business. There is a blog post that you have um, that you just wrote actually recently. Well, recently as we, as we record, it won't be recently by the time this is released, but it was, you wrote it on June 3rd and the title of it is your beliefs about saying yes. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes because it's important, but I'm going to read the first paragraph of it because I think this really hones into your point of how much you were working and what you were doing. You yeah. wrote, the nurse confirmed I was fully dilated and the doctor would be on, in, on her way in soon. I asked my husband to hand me my laptop and I hurried up to answer a few more client emails since I knew I would probably be quote unquote unavailable until the end of business. My last email was sent at 1.32 p.m. My son was born at 2.05 p.m. I spent a very long time proud of that fact. I bragged about it enough that eight years later, I still remember those details. Girl. Yeah, and that actually, I wrote it fine, but I get a little bit emotional hearing it read back. Yeah, like I have full body chills right now. Because that's time I won't get back. I mean, it's funny too. I laugh at myself because the nurse also came in. She was like, get that away. I thought you were going to watch TV or something. 
<laughs> She's like, I thought you were Netflixing. <laughs> she did. She did. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I was proud of it. I taught classes to clients with pneumonia and I was proud of that. And yeah. it really, um, it all came to a head when I, it doesn't in my mind and in my memory, it didn't feel like a super profound burnout week, but every day was that way. So there probably wasn't any profound burnout weeks, but years later, I mean, I'm talking at least five years after that, you know, what that blog that story is yeah. about, stories about, um, I was having a regular day at the office. Um, my business partner and I always had a great time together. It's not like everything was serious. We goofed off and have a, have a wonderful time together. But the bottom line was definitely the burnout. Um, but there was one day that we were just goofing off and I kind of shoot him a funny look and half of my face doesn't respond. And I freak out a little bit. He got freaked out a little bit. The thought is, did I just have a stroke? The other thought is, what the hell am I doing in my life if it, in my 30s I just had a stroke? Yeah. And I, I did go to the emergency room, not, not sure what it was. And it was an, a sudden onset of Bell's palsy. That's a better prognosis than a stroke. That's yeah. a better situation than a stroke. But it was definitely... Definitely this oh shit moment of what the hell am I doing? Much of my business was and is talking to people and half of my face didn't respond. It's not easy to talk if you can't feel half of your tongue, if you're, half of your face is drooping and drooling. I think it was a combo because I did have a record, a medically record short stint of Bell's palsy. And I attribute it to two things. One was I said, thank you, no thank you to the steroids that the doctor offered me. There just wasn't the research to support that they would do anything to help. I called my acupuncturist and asked her if she would, that was on a Friday, I asked her if she would see me Saturday morning and she made a special appointment. So I was, I had needles and probes in my face the next day and was really taking an approach that's known for working um, immediately, not I've had Bell's palsy for three months now, you know, last resort, I'm trying acupuncture. I did that first. Right. Um, but even she even my acupuncturist said Bell's palsy was the shortest stint she had ever experienced was three months. Mine was two weeks. And I immediately thought, what's my lesson? What do I need to learn from this? Because it stopped me in my tracks. Um, Not to say it happened, you know, I was reading about your Achilles, not to say it happened because I needed to learn that lesson, but I definitely had the lesson to come out of it. What needs to change? Because I'm, I can't do anything. I can't burn myself out if I want to, if I can't speak, if I can't communicate, if I can't, or if I'm not comfortable putting my face in front of people. Um, yeah. But this was sort of the accumulation of things because in the post that you wrote about this on Instagram, you wrote, 
you know, we were nearly five years into our business. I was working like crazy and had zero self-care routine. Working myself sick made me feel powerful. And as nutty as that sounds, I know I'm not the only one. In the year prior, I had multiple instances of walking pneumonia, chronically inflamed endometriosis, and PCOS leading to surgeries, which left me with months of brain fog and extreme pain. So the Bell's palsy is at the end of this year. It's not like there was no information from your body that things weren't going well. Right, right. Uh, My body was screaming to me and every time I ignored it, I thought I was that much stronger. Right. Um, And Bell's palsy was the thing that just threw you over the edge mentally, really, because physically you had been thrown over the edge multiple times, like over and over. Right. But mentally, the Bell's palsy was the thing that got your attention. Yeah. And it's, and I definitely believe it's because of the nature of it. Yeah. I, you, we can run through pain, you know, with the endometriosis and PCOS. I can, like I said, I can get up and teach a class of 50 people with pneumonia um, and, you know, take enough something over the counter that my symptoms are quashed for the moment. When the primary nerve in your face has no signal going to it, you cannot will yourself to move your face. Right. You can't take enough ibuprofen to muscle through it. Your face isn't moving. It's That's not, it. It's it. There's no willing around it. And tears came from that. Yeah. Because I was used to being able to will myself around symptoms. This one wasn't going anywhere until I learned a lesson. And this is, to be honest, similar to my Achilles I mean, I know how to, I'm an acupuncturist. I've studied all the self-care. I have done very significant two-week self-cultivation retreats in the mountains in China. Yeah. To be in touch with myself and to know better and to, and to, and to. But that makes me think that no matter what happens, it's okay because I can fix it. And this is the first thing that's happened to me that I can aid. Acupuncture will make my Achilles heal faster than most other people's. But I needed to have surgery to get it fixed. Yeah, yeah. And I need to wait until I can walk on it. And I need to be on crutches. And I need to be. I can't fix it without stopping. Yeah. And asking for help. Yes. Yes. That's it. Um, being willing to stop. And it's funny cause it's hard when, when we've been through the other side and we see you use the word when, when we have the shine on it yeah. of, of learning that lesson in that time, we forget about some of that pain and some of those emotions right in the moment. Um, but the fear, here behind just stopping that's a belief we really need to dive into yeah what what is that fear what's the belief system that built up that, that fear just stop it's just stopping 
you go all the time. What's the harm in stopping? Yeah, for me, it comes from probably a similar place as you. I grew up broke as a joke myself. If I stop, will I be broke like that again? Yeah. It's a huge one for me. It's not the only thing. Absolutely, it's not the only thing. One of them is that, is, is money. I mean, it sounds, we're not supposed to say that when we have passion-based businesses, you know, but it is a part of it, is money. The other part of it for me is what you were saying before. Am I valuable if I'm not productive? Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. Right. Even as I, even as the message was clear in my face and I was starting my self-care path, part of that was I got my yoga teacher certification. I really started diving into meditation and all the self, all the self-cares, but I did carry a story throughout some of that of what are my clients going to think? If, if I have a client that sees me teaching a yoga class, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? And will they still value me in, in the way that they pay me for? You know, like you're saying, those two things connected. Will they still value me for the things that they pay me for, for the things that make me a living, if they also see me doing these things to take care of myself? And... It seems really silly saying it out loud, but those beliefs, those stories are so deep in our hearts that we don't even take the time to say them out loud and question them. They just turn to fear right, right. away. And yeah, then, yeah. And, and we sure will stop ourselves from taking care of ourselves, but we won't stop doing the things that burn us out and yeah. doing those things that just run our energy reservoirs dry. Yeah. Well, and the thing that you said earlier too, like your options were doctor or lawyer. I mean, I grew up with sort of that same idea, except for lawyer was never on the docket for me. You know, I was always going to be a doctor. And when I went to med school, when I went to pre-med, I, and I hated it. I hated everything (laughs) about the system. I hated everything about the schooling, and I still wanted to be a doctor and I didn't know what to do, which is how I ended up moseying into acupuncture school. But I mostly chose acupuncture school at the time. I had never had a treatment before. 
And I loved the theory behind it because my minor in college was Eastern religion. So I was into it and I liked it, but I had never had a treatment, but I liked it because it was a master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. It was serious enough. And for you, it was your clients. What are they going to think? For me, my sister and I talk about this sometimes. It's like there's this voice of the town or the city that I grew up in that, you know, who does she think she is? And if like the, the judgment, basically who my jury is, you know, your jury at that time, you chose your clients as your jury. My jury very often is my hometown. Yeah. Meanwhile, I have not lived there since I was 17 and I'm 37. It's been 20 years. And still sometimes yeah. those people are my jury. They don't even know. They don't probably don't even care. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. <laughs> And yeah, I definitely for me, me as well, um, my hometown being my jury and the law school thing being super prestigious and being able to throw that around, you know, like I ever would, you know, it, it, but you didn't have to because it's out there anyway. Yeah, but I think, you know, if I'm going to be really gross honest, which might as well be while we're here, it's, you know, in the moment of making those choices, you know, of choosing going an insane amount of student loan debt and and all of this, (laughs) in the moment of making those choices, there definitely was an aspect of, you know, I'll show these people, I'll have a better life than them. Yeah. How can I, what I can I do I that will be impressive? to have a worse life than me? That's no, crap. of course not. And for me, it was more of, what can I do that will be impressive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That too. What can I, I do that will be impressive? <laughs> yeah. And then, so then this shift. So are you still practicing law? Are you yeah, totally I in? Am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still, um, I can still consult with, with my company. Um, that company's in another state. Um, in the last year, actually, I moved across the country and I work remotely and I do business coaching as well. And it's all the parts that I love about, about both sides of the business, about the law practice. It it gave me the opportunity. My move gave me the opportunity to really stop and redesign. I had already was well on a significant redesign path after the Bell's palsy. And then it it kind of was just like this momentum build with um, the Bell's palsy, some other transitions in my business and then my move recent has been the most recent and it's really just been this open invitation to redesign my business to do the parts of it that I love there are parts of it that I love very much and they were just hidden underneath the stories and they were hidden underneath the the burnout and the the just working myself completely dry for no good reason like I said, I had I'm an amazing staff and amazing business partner. My business did not need me to be doing the things I was doing to 
that weren't healthy for myself. That was, it was all me. It was. But that was the story you were telling. And that's just like you say in that, that same blog post, it doesn't matter if your stories are true or untrue because you believe them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we can argue with my business coaching clients. I can argue in a tailspin on whether or not something's true. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. If you believe something, it's as true as it needs to be to guide your behaviors and your choices. So what kind of, when you say that, I want people to have a clear picture of what that would mean. So if the belief is, for instance, for me, like I needed to do things that I thought would impress people, then my choices were all based in not what is going to feel good to me, but what will impress people. And it's never a hundred percent one thing or another. I mean, I chose Chinese medicine because I love it and it turned out to be the best choice that I ever made. And I'm obsessed with the thought process that goes in behind it. And it has shifted the way I look at the entire world. I am so grateful for the knowledge that I have. I mean, I would never have wanted to study anything else. So it was also for me. But there was a story around it that says, well, this is serious enough to be impressive. If you're not going to be an MD, at least you can have a master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not all bad. And, right. it, and that's what I was, you know, I'm, I'm generally pretty cautious to say, I'm not telling everybody's story here. I don't want any other lawyer to listen listen to this and be like, well, I didn't do that. I actually love practicing law and I'm helping people. Why is she acting like it burdens everybody out? Right. It's not everybody's story, but we do, every one of us do have our own story. Yes. That we need to dive into. Um, If we pretend like it's not there, it's time to dive a little deeper. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is exactly the point. So one of my stories was that and then and based on that, because I believed that I needed to do that, that drove certain behaviors that was, you know, part of the reason that I burned out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what other stories exactly. might people be telling? Yeah, and it's um I I do feel that most of them come down to being valued, being valuable, money stories, and self-love. Yeah. And being good enough. Being good enough um, compared to what? And what you just said about um, impressing other people reminded me of a little story I read in a book this week. And it talked about um, the something about like a transient um, comfort place or a transient goal. And the example the lady was telling in the story was that when she would go somewhere with her grandmother, her grandmother would always say, well, remember we're parked next to the green car mm-hmm. and, and would always gauge where they were parked based on something that was movable. And sure enough, at the end of any shopping trip, they would go back out to the parking lot and they would be wandering the aisles for hours because their 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 beacon was gone. Because the green car had driven away. <laughs> the green car was gone. And we do that so much with our self-value where we'll base it on things like impressing other people, mm-hmm. which is going to move all over the place. And if we keep making our life choices based on these transient things that move around, 
we're going to be wandering around lost and burned out and tired because we're emptying that energy reservoir to achieve something or based on something that's transient, that's going to move, that, that really has nothing to do with us and our goals. Right. And this is, this goes into the same blog post that you didn't use these words, but it comes down to people pleasing. Yeah. Right. If people need things from me, then I need to give them to them because I need to be sure that people are happy with my performance because that, 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 and you can't really control if other people are thrilled with you or even like you. No, because it really has nothing to do with you. Right. You, and again, you can argue the truth of that, <laughs> but it's the, other people's pleasure is the green car. And yeah. because they're walking around their life with their own stories, with their own people pleasing, with their own pains. And what you're doing to fulfill yourself has nothing to do with them because they're too busy burning themselves out trying to get their own value. Yeah. Yeah, we go we go into these really big stories about what we mean to other people and god it is really and it's interesting because not feeling impactful in your life is a symptom of burnout and also a cause of burnout according to research. Like this yeah. is what the scientists say. Not feeling impactful is both a symptom of and a cause of burnout. Yeah. So, you want to feel like the things that you're doing are valuable, but if you place the judgment of that value outside of yourself, you're never going to get there. Right. You're never going to get there. My first job as an acupuncturist was fertility. And oh, all, God. All, yeah, it's all I did for six years. All I did was help people get pregnant, and I was very good at it. We had a lot of success. I worked in a fertility clinic. I also had a private practice. And I had hundreds and hundreds of pictures of babies that I was a part of creating. Part but the of, one that didn't. Well, not even that. It didn't really... There are some people that thrive in that. you know. But it, I, I was like, okay, it worked. Yeah, yeah. And I was happy for the people. But it didn't make me feel better about myself because yeah. I was trying to please them in order to get, you know, the thing that I wanted to get out of it. But their pleasure was in, joyful for me. I was joyful for them. Absolutely. But for them. Yeah. I wasn't, it didn't make me feel like, oh my God, what an impact you made. I thought, wow, they finally got what they want. That is so amazing. Like good for them. And the humility, you know, there's some health and humility, but when, when you're set up is that this is the thing I'm going to do to, to feel valued and valuable. And then that's not your reaction to it. Then you're still searching. And in, we set ourselves up to then do more and more and more and more. Exactly. Because we want that feeling. We're, um, we say that we're seeking a result, but we're seeking a feeling. Yeah. With whatever, you know, with whatever we do. Um, 
you know, I want to be an excellent lawyer. No, I want the feeling of pride of somebody that's an excellent lawyer. Right. And, and even our feelings, I think, are maybe the green car a little bit where we're doing all these things with the assumption that it's going to equal this certain feeling rather than chasing the feeling itself rather Rather than than, the actual car is parked. We're looking for the thing next. We're we're trying to chase that thing next to the car and it can move. It will move. Yeah, it will move. Absolutely. It will move. And most of the time because you move it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're getting in your own goddamn way. So you had a bunch of physical reactions to burnout. Your body was burning out in all sorts of different ways. Did you also have mental, emotional burnout symptoms during that period or was it mostly physical? Um, I, my pause says yes. In the stories behind our own emotional health and myself included, for sure, I wasn't even going to admit to most of my physical ailments. Right. No way in hell I was going to admit to my emotional ailments. Um, my husband will tell you <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm much more um, pleasant to be around these days. <laughs> Well, and this is a huge symptom of burnout that people feel like is quote unquote everyday life, especially since like hashtag Chardonnay mom was, you know, a big, a big thing. You're supposed to be frustrated. And if you're not, you're doing it wrong. You're supposed to need a glass of wine at the end. I have nothing, nothing wrong with a glass of wine at the end of the day. I love a glass of wine. But we have this sort of idea that if you're not craving a glass of wine by the time it's like bedtime for your kids, then you're not, you know, struggling hard enough to get there. Right. Yeah. And that's what I, I do. I do struggle with the health of that hashtag Chardonnay mom, not because I don't love a glass of wine, not because I don't love a glass of whiskey. I do. However, I will say that my relationship with alcohol since since starting this journey to really become aware of taking care of myself and keeping my energy reservoir full, that relationship with alcohol has changed. In what way? For the better. In that if I have a glass of wine or a glass of whiskey, it's because I want it, not because I need it to take me away from something else. Yeah. Yes. And... And I only struggle with that story because addiction is a huge problem and our addiction to burnout is a huge problem. Yeah. And when we're marrying those two things together, we're, we've got a whole recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's that, yeah, that story that you're doing it right if if the bottom of a bottle is, is your saving grace at the end of the night. And when that's something that we bond over and something that that's funny, um, it's, we kind of need to dive into that one. Um, but, but yeah, the emotional health and the emotional health definitely attaches to addiction for a lot of people. I, I was very fortunate that that wasn't my path. Um, 
because there's a lot of addiction in my family. But that emotional health is the first thing that we pretend we don't have to take care of, that we pretend doesn't, doesn't exist, you know, the, the unhealthiness. Yeah, this amount of frustration is normal. It's normal for me to explode on my family. They're making me crazy. This, this is one of the things that I hear most often from people who have burnt out and are sick of their own bullshit and are wanting to do something about it. They come to me nearly in tears every time saying, I hate the way I'm treating my family. Yeah. But I feel so terrible all the time that I don't know how else to do it. I'm so frustrated. Everything sets me off. And your family is the safe people to freak out on because they're probably not going to cut you out of their life the first time or the 10th time. Right. Or the hundredth time, because we, again, are all carrying the story that this is normal. Um, and, and particularly, you know, when I'm looking at entrepreneurs, you're cho- you chose this thing. You know, people that have their own business, you chose this thing. And you're allowing it to be set up in a way that you have no energy left. You're drinking too much and you're freaking out on your family. Yeah. How do we redesign this into something that actually is working for you? Because this yeah. isn't working for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is something that you also wrote in um, another blog post that you posted, I think it was November of 2018. You wrote, whispers of curiosity are my favorite forms of passion. And it continues and continues. And you wrote, when you're done with a path, please, for the love of all things, let it go and move on. And this is what we're talking about. So a lot of life, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, a lot of life you're creating for yourself. You're making decisions every day that create the shape and feel of the life that you're living. Right. So if you've gotten to a place where you are frustrated and annoyed and feeling like shit and you must have a glass of wine by five o'clock, then realize that that path it's not working for you. It's not working for you. And the way to find your way back is to get curious about the things that spark you. Yeah. And that I, I'm so glad you brought that one up um, because it's been circling in, in my mind recently, this theory we have about waste, Yeah, which is kind of funny in our single use plastic society. I won't get on an environmental soapbox, but in our, in our single-use plastic society, we're so fucking concerned with wasting time, money, and energy that we've put into things that don't work for us anymore. Yeah. And that So we was, continue to waste more of it instead of actually shift it. Right. Right. Because it's so scary. And it's the what will other people think syndrome. Yep. yep. Well, this is what happens often. They think I wasted all of this. And it's moving on in the future. Waste has something to do with what you did in the past. And so moving on with the future has nothing. It's it's not the same thing. But but it was funny. I had an uncle that I respect a lot. Um, 
but when we were talking about the shift of my business and that I'm doing more business coaching than practicing law and I'm not immediately reciprocating my license to the new state that I moved to, he looked at me with so much horror (laughs) and he said, you're just going to waste your law degree. Right. And I, in that moment I was in a good place and I was so much peace was like, no, no, I've used it very, very well. And I'll always continue to use it. Maybe not how you see as use of a law degree, but it served me well. It's not wasted. It's not disrespectful to the time, energy, and money I put into something to shift, to pivot. Well, this is really important because it touches on relationships, whether friendships and romantic relationships, touches on jobs and careers. I was just talking to a friend yesterday about another friend who was saying that she built this business and now she's got to double her profit so she can have someone work for her so she can leave it and go do something else. It's like, no, you don't. You can just go. Yeah, but yeah, you make an excellent point. Relationships are a huge thing that people stay in that aren't working for them, but they don't want to, it, it, the word we use is waste. And, yeah. and I think that needs to be a key word for us, that when we say, when we know in our heart of hearts, this is not working for me, I don't want to do this anymore. That dread of showing up to anything, whether it's, family, relationships, jobs, when we have that constant dread, not just the one time I'm not in the mood for it, you know, pick yourself up and show up. But if it's a continuous dread of, I don't want to do this anymore. If you use the word waste in your own story, that, that should be like a red flag. You know, but I'm still doing it because of some kind of story about waste or some kind of story about having to continue something just because that's time for some like personal work to sit with yourself and say, what, what are my stories about this? That, that's really some, one of the best exercises is just calling yourself out. A term I use a lot is shining a light on the monster under the bed because it's never so scary when you look it right in the face and really calling yourself out and saying, what are my stories behind this? What am I believing to be true that that has to be so true that I have to stay in something that does not work for me, that is not serving me, that is draining me dry? Why do I really, why do I believe that this has to stick around in my life? Because whatever the story is, it's probably bullshit. Yeah, most likely. Well, Sarah, that I think is an amazing piece of advice to wrap things up because I don't know if you can believe it, but we've been talking nearly an hour. It's time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> time flies when you're having fun. Is there something that you feel like you would like to leave people with before you go? I think what you just gave people is valuable enough. Just that one exercise I think is really powerful. And if that hit anybody in the gut, please go sit and do it now, unless you're driving, then you can wait until you've parked somewhere. Otherwise do it now. Yeah. You'll miss 
five exits if you start doing this thing while you're driving. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But is there anything else that you would like to leave people with before we finish? That was it. That that good point. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's the big message. I love it. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. We, you are another one of my lovely guests who got up super early to spend some time with me. And I do appreciate your early morning. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you so much so for being much. here. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been a really good time. All right, everybody. That wraps up another episode of fried the burnout podcast and this one i really think that you might need to listen to twice because there's a lot of self-inquiry that sarah offered you within this episode that if you take the time to really sit and do it you might be cracking on to some clarity before you even realize it i mean this there's a lot of really powerful things here i will include some things that Sarah said, some quotes, and all of the ways that you can reach her in the show notes, which you can find at friedtheburnoutpodcast.com. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan